Thanks for listening to the Revival Today podcast with evangelist Jonathan Shuttlesworth. To stay connected, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, or online at revivaltoday.com. Now, here's evangelist Jonathan. Today, glad you're watching. Would love to see where you're watching from. I enjoy that. Today is winning the war against financial limitation. And I like uh, the title that I chose. I like the wording of it. I was going to say winning the war against poverty, but the vast majority of the people that I'm watching have already won the war against poverty. So I'm going to talk about financial limitation because that's where, I'm sure not most of you, but that's where most, most people in the body of Christ live. You know, you, you, you see that word in the Bible, abundance and overflow, but people do not live in abundance and overflow. You hear these kind of words all the time. Oh, I can't get there. Oh, that's far away. Oh, I can't afford that. That's called financial limitation. And the Bible talks about abundance. John 10.10, the gospel in one verse. The thief comes not but for to steal, to kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus didn't come so you could endure life. Jesus came so you could enjoy life. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that the man of God will be fully equipped and able to abound to every good work. That, that's the opposite of financial limitation, the ability to abound to any good work. What if a 1,200-seat church went up for sale in the Pittsburgh area in the next two years? What does it mean to abound to a good work? Well, the opposite of abounding to a good work would be me taking... You know, 11 years and having a capital campaign. Many of us grew up in churches where, I don't know, there's just no knowledge of how to, how to operate that way. So when it came time, think about it. You were in a growing church. It came time. A, a move was necessitated, but nobody had any revelation on how to operate without financial limitation. So... What was supposed to be, if you do it God's way, something where you can just move, turned into a 12-year project, board members fought and left with their families, people that disagreed with decisions that were being made, split the church, the pastor had a heart attack. Do you know the, the average pastor resigns within a year and a half after a new building, never gets to enjoy the fruit of his labor because you can know where to go, but if you don't know how to get there, it can mess you up. That's how Ishmael was born. Abraham knew he was to have a son, but he went about it in the flesh instead of going about it supernaturally. And that's what most people do financially. You're going to meet very few people in the body of Christ, even though the Bible says, I'll make you the lender and never the borrower. Who are you going to meet that doesn't have a story about borrowing and mortgage? Very few people. So they know the vision God's given them, but they only know how to borrow to get it. I think of that story with Elisha where the man comes to him and says uh, he lost an axe head when he was swinging the axe. The axe head flew off and went in the water, which was a big deal back then. There was no Home Depot. You needed a blacksmith to forge you another one, which I'm sure was not cheap. And the man ran to Elisha and said, alas, master, the axe head was borrowed. So people, the, the body, so the believers have been borrowing since a few books into the Bible. First Kings 17, there was a widow who was down to her last meal. 
And she was a believer. She believed in God. So, so financial lack and limitation and borrowing and financial servitude is not a new thing. And it takes grace to break that. Grace has been mystified. Uh, I don't know if that's a word, mystified. Wrongly defined. If I say grace, most of you in the comments would define it as unmerited favor. But I know, uh, I know there's scholars that define it that way, but that's a poor definition of grace. Don't define grace as unmerited favor. That produces lazy people. I mean, you know, God gives us grace. We don't have to do anything. No. Grace is not unmerited favor. Grace is divine favor. Because there actually are things you can do to merit grace. The Bible talks about things that cause grace to abound. The Bible talks about frustrating the grace of God. So grace, don't think of it as unmerited favor from God. Think of it as just divine favor from God, and then the Bible tells you how you can provoke that. To get me in the mood to teach on this even further, I'm going to play a clip of me uh, teaching at Pastor Rodney Howard Brown's church in Tampa from about seven months ago where I was on the subject of money, and uh, we're going to get into this. And today, I want you to believe with me that you're going to win the war against financial limitation, and you'll never have any financial limitation the rest of your life. You want to take a vacation? You can take a vacation. You want to live in a certain house? You can do it. Sweat free. No scheming. No, no getting your blood pressure up. Just enjoying the blessings of God. Welcome to day three of our week of spiritual emphasis. Here's me. If the Bible tells you to not think about former things and to identify by your spiritual root. That the devil would try to get you to think about former things and identify by your physical root. I don't have a dad. A lot of people don't have dads. It's not 1920. Oh, you're the divorced family. Over half. The majority of people don't have a debt. Then of the 50% that do have a debt, how many are, are born again, Holy Ghost filled Christians that sit their kids down and teach them the word and pray with them? It'd be negligible. Almost none. So you're going to just keep thinking about what you didn't have. I didn't have a mother to pay for my college. My grandmother, that's 94 years old down in Texas, her, her youngest sister that died 30 years before her, you could have listened to her when she was 65, 70 years old, talking about our mother never gave us anything. You're 70. <laughs> what did she have to give you? It was the 1800s. <laughs> yeah, it's like 1990. My mother didn't give me anything. What, you want a wagon? <laughs> what, did you, what did you want her to give you? 70. If you don't break that mentality, the same way you'll be whining when you're 20, you'll be whining when you're 65. But if you'll break that mentality and instead use your mouth to say, I'll bless the Lord at all times, his praise will continually be in my mouth. Bless the Lord, I tell myself. If God be for me, tell me who can be against me. And I want to tell you today, God is 
take you to the top in Jesus' name. Come on, if you receive that, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Come on, give Jesus the highest praise. Hallelujah. Somebody say, I'm coming out, and I'm going up. Wherever you started, you can finish on top. Nobody follows this book and stays low. It's not possible. I said it's not possible. When this word comes alive in you and you act on it, it'll break every chain. I don't care if it's been in your family for 500 years. It'll stop with you and your children. will never know any battles that you've had to fight because a new chapter will begin because you don't come from this earth. You're born of above. Say it so the devil can hear you. Say, I am blessed. And say, who God has blessed, nobody can curse. Yeah, the, the Democrats can't curse you. And whoever the next president is, how you can be as my age or older and still, and still actually get hung up on who the president is. You know, when you've lived through, I mean, this is how it goes. Can't believe Joe Biden got in. Why can't you? Oh, uh, George Bush, conservative. Then it swings back liberal. Then it swings back conservative Trump. Then it swings, and then this is going to create a backlash if Jesus tears. That's how it goes. And anybody that walks by these promises prospers regardless of who is in office. Yeah, but did you hear what they're planning? Are you over the age of 10? Do you know how long, even if the government plans something, that it takes for them to implement it? They're gonna, they're gonna force mandatory vaccines. Are they the same people that are in charge of renewing your driver's license? Because even if they pass the law, it wouldn't be done till 2050. They don't have the capacity to do it. They've been trying to pass new driver's licenses nationwide since 2008. Blew through the 2012 deadline, blew through the 2016 deadline, and barely got it done in October of last year. Agenda 2030 for the UN was originally Agenda 2020, and they missed that by a mile. The devil can make a lot of plans, but as long as God's hands on your life, he can't carry any of them out. And you not only come through, you come through with a testimony and a blessing. Like Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's no fiery furnace. There's no lion's den that can take a child of God out. If you believe it, can you shout amen? amen. Say it again. I'm blessed. I'm well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but one of, one of the things, I, you know, no one cares, but that's probably what my next book's going to be. Because after listening to everybody talk about Biden and the Democrats and they're going to pack the, the Supreme Court, I mean, people just use their mouth to talk about what the, I don't read Abraham doing that. Abraham wasn't a, a, a group in a group of 60 million Christians like we are in America. Abraham was the only righteous man in the entire land of the Philistines, wicked people. Where do you hear him whining about what they're doing? You know, they sacrificed their children to a God. It's true. I mean, I, I believe that release is a spirit over this land. <laughs> Abraham.
Abraham let them do whatever they wanted to do and just got busy taking their land, taking their digging wells and having water, acquiring livestock, acquiring herds, acquiring flocks of sheep and goats. Abraham just took their stuff while they did what they did because he realized it doesn't matter if the devil's under your feet, that it doesn't matter how many demons are in the territory. All of them are under your feet. All the witches are under your feet. They can't stop you because God has blessed you. Stop using your mouth to talk about what the enemy's doing. Start using your mouth to say, thank you, Father, for Jesus and his blood that brought me out of the curse and anointed me to do great things for God. Come on, if that sounds like you, put those anointed hands together and let a volume of praise come up out of the sanctuary. Deuteronomy 28 is where we'll start today. Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all those commands that I'm giving you today, the Lord will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children and your crops will be blessed. The offspring of your herds and your flocks will be blessed. Your fruit baskets and breadboards will be blessed. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you will be blessed. The Lord will conquer your enemies when they attack you. They'll attack from one direction, but they'll run from you in seven. The Lord will guarantee a blessing on everything you do and will fill your storehouses with grain. The Lord your God will bless you in the land that he's giving you. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, the Lord will establish you as his holy people as he swore he would do. Then all the nations of the world will see that you're a people. And I want you to notice that. If you have a, a pen with you, or you're, you're following along on your phone or whatever, then highlight that if, you're, if you have like a digital Bible, and if you have an analog Bible like me, underline the nations will see. They will see that you're a people claimed by God. And I want you to write down, in your notes, visible blessing. Visible blessing. The heathen will be able to see that God's blessed you. So it's, it starts off like everything with God. You receive it in your spirit by faith, but it doesn't stay in the invisible realm. Well, I might not have any money in the bank, but I'm blessed. Amen. Well, you shouldn't still be saying that after like, you know, if you've been saved like three weeks, that's fine to say. But if you've been saved like 19 years, you're in the ministry 30 years, and we don't have any extra money, but God always comes through in the mid. You got sold some whack Pentecostal financial mess revelation that's not in the Bible. The heathen will see it and know that you're a people claimed by the Lord, and they'll stand in awe of you. The Lord will give you prosperity. So when you hear someone ignorant enough to say, I don't believe in prosperity, or is that that prosperity message? It's right there. It's in the Bible. It's not added. Deuteronomy 28 was not written in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1960. We're going back thousands of years. This is the blessing of Abraham. The Lord will give you prosperity. Why don't you write that down and say it out loud? It'll, it'll help you. The Lord 
will give me prosperity in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you, blessing you with many children, numerous livestock, and abundant crops. The Lord will send rain at the proper time from his rich treasury in the heavens and will bless all the work you do. Of course, that was an agrarian society. They, they, they ranched cattle. They grew crops. So sometimes people, you know, because you can't, you can't look over the fact that this is in the Bible. It's clearly there. So they say, yeah, but these people talk about God blessing you with money. God told them he'd bless them with crops. Yeah, number one, because that's, what they, that's how they function. But number two, money is not a new creation. There's money in the book of Genesis. Jacob told his sons, take in the time of famine, take double money down to Egypt to buy food. Money, not crops. So the, the blessing's not limited to, to, to your, your garden or your cornfields if you're a farmer. I will bless everything you do. Everything your hand touches will be blessed, including your money. You will lend to many nations, but you will never need to borrow from them. You will lend to many, but thou shalt not borrow. Borrowing is not a sin, but it is a weight. And the Bible says, cast off every weight that so easily besets you. Borrowing is anti-covenant. Until you see that, because I'm sure, I'm sure there's a percentage of people that would hear me say that, they, they'll just bristle. You know, if you start talking about physical fitness, people that are out of shape take offense. Many. If you start talking about uh, healing, people that are sick or lost a loved one to a terminal disease, many will get offended. Because rather than change or go to war against that thing, they just accept it as theirs. And if you start talking about how borrowing is anti-covenant, most people get offended because they've borrowed. And you know, you're not going to find many people personally or ministries that have been able to do anything they're doing without borrowing. But that doesn't change the fact that it's in the Bible. You can give me a little more mic in the, in the house. And so you, you, have to, um, you have to see what's in Scripture. You'll never have it. And you have to develop a hatred for things that are anti-covenant. You will lend, I will make you the lender only, but never the borrower. If you listen to these commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving, you know. And that's going to be a tough thing to break in America because this whole country, <laughs> you know, when people say this country is built on racism, I don't agree. I don't, I don't agree with, what, you know, all the negative things people say this country is built on. But I will tell you one thing it is built on, and that is borrowing. The banking system of lending, of you getting money to finance what you're doing at a good, in, bragging to everybody what a good interest rate you got on it, and then paying it back. People are addicted to borrowing in the United States. People are addicted to sugar, and people are addicted to borrowing, and both will kill you. America's a very interesting uh, country because everything's affordable. 
They can make a way for you to get anything you want. You know, the people that work at, my, at, at our ministry that don't make a six-figure salary, I wouldn't be surprised if there would be some way that they could finagle, if they really tried, to get a Ferrari or a Lamborghini. There's a way to do it. You know, they might be pay, paying 19% interest, but you can appear really successful. I mean, you can rent, you can rent cars like that on an app called Turo and pay $800 a day. Nobody knows you rented it. You look, you look whatever, like whatever you're trying to look like. And so that's crept into the church where everybody just borrows it. But it's not got, let me tell you, why is it when you go for a loan, you're never going to see one Orthodox, you're never going to see one Hasidic Jew sitting in the, in the loan office waiting to see if a Gentile will loan him some money? Next time, if you ever go to a physical bank branch and you go to apply for a loan or you see where the people go to apply for loans, count how many Hasidic Jews you see there with the black hat and curls or a, a, a Hasidic Jewish wife. You'll never see one. They don't do it. You know why? Because they believe this part of the Bible. They'll lend money to each other at zero interest, but they will not, on principle, they will not go to the Gentiles for money, and certainly not at interest. Turn to Judges 6.3. No, no, wait. For Judges 6.3. So there's Deuteronomy 28, right? So this is important to couple with it. Galatians 3. Verse 26. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on a new garment. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you, you are the true seed of Abraham. You are his heirs, and everything God promised to him belongs to you. Thanks, Gloria. Thanks for the nice words, everybody. Everything God promised him belongs to me. I am the seed of Abraham. So I'm not taking Deuteronomy 28 out of context. Well, that was actually written to the ancient Israel as they were settling. You know, you can't take the... No, Galatians 3 said that everything God promised, that through Christ, we are the true seed of Abraham. Remember the prophecy to Abraham? Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Why? He gave, Jesus was in his lineage... And then in receiving Christ, that blessing comes upon all who receive Christ. Those who are in Christ are the seed of Abraham. You're welcome, Rosalie. And heirs according to his promise. Now, Judges 6, 3. Joshua, Judges. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. So book 7. I want you to see a, a important principle here. 
Judges 6.3, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying the crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes, coming with their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count. And they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. Let me read it in the King James. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them. So I, what I'm pointing out here, Galatians 6.3 to whatever verse I read, you're going to read in the Bible here and other places that the enemy never attacked when the children of God planted their seed. But when it was time for them to reap their harvest and enjoy the fruit of their labor, raiders came and attacked and stole their harvest. So that's a principle you learn of the devil. The devil will let you go to work. You can work 18 hours a day for all he cares. But when it comes time to receive the fruit of your labor, there is a spiritual attack that you have to win the war against. There are people that have worked hard all their lives that have nothing. And I'm going to tell you another thing off of this principle that I just read to you. It gives me a passion to pray for older people in my meetings. When I see an old couple together and one sick, that is this same scripture being bared out in that realm. They've planted their seed all their life. They've worked. They saved a retirement. And then now when it comes time to enjoy each other, the children are out of the house. You don't have to work anymore. You can, you, you can enjoy life. You can go on vacations wherever your favorite vacation spot was. Then the husband gets diagnosed with Alzheimer's. The wife has leukemia. Uh, there's kidney problems. And now they can't go away because they have to go to dialysis twice a week. And they're not healthy enough to travel so the devil let them work their whole life and then when it came time to enjoy the fruit of their labor attack their body when they would sow their seed was not when they would attack they would attack when the crops grew so there is a demonic force that comes against you're receiving your harvest and that's why i've entitled today winning the war against financial limitation if the devil has his way, you will be financially limited your whole life. But if you, there is a grace in God to enjoy his blessing, there's a protection in God where the devil can't touch you. Job 22. Turn there with me. Great scripture. You got to read it in the King James. Job twenty two twenty one. 21. 
Acquaint now thyself with God, and be at peace, and thereby good shall come unto thee. These people like Jonathan teach that if you receive Jesus and do what the Bible says, life, life will get better. That's what it says right here. Acquaint now thyself with God and be at peace. And it doesn't say trouble will come to you. It says good will come unto you. Receive, I pray thee, the law from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. If you will return to the Almighty, thou shalt be built up. Thou shalt put away iniquity far from thy tabernacles. Then shalt thou lay up gold as dust. You will lay up gold as dust. And the gold of Ophir like it was stones in a brook. And we will make that our, our scripture for today. Job twenty two twenty four. If you put iniquity away from you. And return to God. You will lay up gold as dust and the gold of Ophir as the stones of the brook. Yea, the Almighty shall be thy defense, and thou shalt have plenty of silver. Abundant gold, plenty of silver. For then shalt thou have thy delight in the Almighty, and shalt lift up thy face unto God. Thou shalt make thy prayer unto him, and he shall hear thee, and thou shalt pay thy vows. Thou shalt also decree a thing, and it shall be established unto thee, and the light shall shine upon thy ways. When men are cast down, you will say, there is a lifting up, and he shall save the humble person. And finally, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. Verse 1. One day a widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and, now you, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. Verse 2. Now, that, that's extreme financial limitations, and that's problems with creditors. That was a thing up until recently, indentured servants. If you were in debt, your kid went as a slave to work off the debt for free. What can I do to help you, Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors, then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it's filled. So she did as Elijah said. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. Now listen to this, 2 Kings 4, 7. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now sell the olive oil, pay your debts, 
and you and your sons can live on what's left over. I heard a minister one time say, anytime God blesses you, it's not for you, it's for his kingdom. But he obviously never read this scripture. Because when Elisha got done doing that work by the power of God, he didn't say, now sell the oil, give it to build the temple. He didn't say, give it to my ministry. He said, pay your debts. Everybody write, pay your debts. So the anointing can get involved in helping you pay your debt. And number two, and I like this, you and your sons can live on what's left. There's a work of the anointing, not just to get you out of debt, but to cause you to be able to live without financial limitation. Write it in the comments so the devil can read it. I will live without any financial limitation. You and your sons can live on what's left. Now, go ahead uh, to the next verse in 2 Kings 4. One day, Elisha went to the town of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there, and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. After that, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. She said to her husband, I'm sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build an addition onto our home. If you read it, they, didn't, they added a room onto the home with a private entrance in the Amplified Bible. Let's build a room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. Which woman do you want to be? Because you can make your choice today. Do you want to be the woman, I'm in debt, I need a miracle? Some ministries will love for you to stay like that for your whole Christianity. How many need a breakthrough today? How many of you believe in... They're always coming from a position of financial servitude and limitation. But you can be the Shunammite woman instead. Come to my house and eat. Let's build an addition onto our home to house Elisha. I choose the second one. I don't want one of them needed a miracle from a man of God. The other one could bless the man of God. I'd rather, I, I'd rather come up to my pastor at the end of the service with something in my hand for him than needing hands laid on me. And there's nothing wrong with needing hands laid on you. But there is something wrong with still needing hands laid on you for the same thing nine years later. Because you can start off as the first woman, but you can finish off as the last woman. And I'm going to tell you how to get there right now. Because I've been both. Number one, we began with Deuteronomy 28, 1 to 14. You must see yourself as the seed of Abraham on this earth. Don't see yourself as white. Don't see yourself as Hispanic. Don't see yourself as black. Don't see yourself as Indian, Jamaican. Don't see yourself by your nationality, Canadian, American, primarily and, and totally. I am the seed of Abraham on this earth. I live in America. God's put me here to bless my nation. But I don't share American problems. I don't share white people problems. I'm not, I'm my own thing. I'm the seed of Abraham and an heir according to that promise. 
What happens to others is not permitted to happen to me. I've been blessed by God, and you cannot curse who God has blessed. Number one, you must, when you look in the mirror, you have to have an identity. I am the seed of Abraham. I am redeemed. Those that are in Christ are the true seed of Abraham, and everything God promised Abraham belongs to them. It's mine. Write this down. Finance, was, don't write this down. I'll, I'll get to what I was going to have you write down. Was Abraham struggling? Was Abraham praying meals on the table? Was Abraham asking people to keep him in prayer for his finances? Abraham had 318 trained men that rolled with him. Abraham was a nation as one man. When kings went to battle, they asked him for help. And if you think that can't happen today, didn't a man just fly into space yesterday with his own money? So... You, you, you're the one that lives in a fantasy world if you think that, that God... What God did then, he can do any time for anybody who believes. He's no respecter of persons. Abraham operated in financial fortune. So write this down. Financial fortune is my birthright. When you were born again into God's family, when, as the seed of Abraham... Financial fortune belongs to you. Most preachers that I've ever met, they never see themselves that way. They're, they're praying that God would give them a rich partner that would help finance their ministry. They don't see that God... Well, let's do it as a verse. Somebody write Proverbs 10.22 in, in the comments. Not, don't write, uh, write the words that are in the verse of Proverbs 10.22. The blessing of the Lord makes a man rich, not meets a man's needs. The blessing of the Lord makes a man rich. It makes that man rich. It doesn't give him favor with rich people. It makes him the rich person. I want you to see yourself that way. That God's will is for you to operate free from financial limitation, and walk in financial fortune. Number one, see yourself as the seed of Abraham. Number two, hate financial servitude. Develop a hatred for your nation's wicked financial system. Abraham operated outside of the of the uh, Canaanite financial structure. He had his own financial system. Jacob, same thing. Isaac, same thing. I, I can rise above and you can rise above. Working a job, paying your taxes, 
paying your bills and having like the average person about $200 in your checking account and zero in savings, which I'm for having zero in savings because savings accounts are a stupid place to put your money. But you understand what I'm saying? Nothing in reserve, one paycheck away from desolation. That's not God's will for my life. That's not God's will for your life. If you're a minister, if you're an evangelist or a pastor, you don't, God's, God's plan is not for this next Sunday's tithes and offerings to pay last week's bills and the interest on the mortgage you got to buy the church. Develop a hatred for that. Write this down. I've had you write it almost every day of this week of spiritual emphasis. You'll never get delivered from something you're not disgusted with. Deliverance begins with being disgusted. I'm not meant to live like this. So you need to see yourself as the seed of Abraham and then realize, man, I, I've been sold a bill of goods. I don't have to live like this. I can rise above the way I've been trained from school, from, from childhood. Get a good credit score. I mean, that's not in the Bible. I'm not living like that. When I get older, my child's not going to have to take me in and care for me. And then when I die, people aren't going to have to pay my expenses and then find out how much they owe to help bury me. No. The righteous leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That's not upper middle class. That's financial fortune. The righteous leaves an inheritance to his children's children, your grandchildren. The Bible says if you walk in righteousness and apply the word, your grandchildren should be receiving income from what you did. Learn to hate this financial system. It repulses me to think about sitting in a bank office and asking an unsaved person if I can borrow their money to build God's church. That repulses me as much as adultery or lying. It, it, it would sicken me on principle to think of that. Hi, I'm a minister of the gospel. We serve El Shaddai, the God of more than enough. Having said that, I don't have any money to do the thing that he's called me to do, so I need your help. That doesn't make sense. I, I, can't, uh, I can't rectify that. I won't be a part of that. So how, how do you rise above that? You have to take these three things as your creed. I, I took this from Bishop David Oyedepo. Write this down. 
if God can't give it to me, may I never have it. If God can't take me there, I don't want to go. If God can't do it, let it remain undone. If God can't give it to me, I don't want it. I'm not striving to get anything. If God can't take me there, I don't want to go. I'm not pushing to try to get somewhere in the ministry or in life. Follow the Holy Ghost. Be led by the Spirit. Of course, God's Spirit leads you forward. But I'm not going to try to get out past God. Well, Rodney Howard Brown rented Madison Square Garden for six weeks. God's no respecter of persons. He loves me just as much as he loves Pastor Rodney. I'm going to go rent Madison Square Garden for six weeks. Well, if God didn't, didn't speak to you to do it like he did him, you're going you're to have a hard time. Be raising money. Life. I want you to write that. And then the third one is, if God can't do it, let it remain undone. If God can't give it to me, I don't want to have it. If God can't take me there, I don't want to go. If God can't do it, let it remain undone. We used to pack, my wife and I would pack our car with all our clothes and equipment to go preach, Toyota Camry. Then we started bringing camera equipment with us to record for television and YouTube back in like, I don't know when it was, 2009? And it would pack the whole back seat and trunk. It would actually like weigh the car down. We looked like gangsters in a low rider. And then it would like go up through between the two seats. We couldn't even talk to each other, packed to the roof. So it was a big deal when we got our first SUV for the ministry. Because now we had a, a vehicle that was, you know, meant to do the job that we were doing. And, and that was a miracle. So I was gassing up my car. I was gassing up that SUV in Philadelphia. And a lady said to me, because this was uh, back when gas prices were real high, four, $4 a gallon. And then uh, those have big tanks and they don't get good gas mileage. So this lady saw me filling it up, an extended cab SUV, and said, how much does it cost to fill that up? And she wasn't asking me, she was just curious. And I didn't know the answer. I'd been driving it like a year, year and a half, but I had never looked. So I said, as soon as I finish gassing it up, I'll tell you. And I felt the Lord speak to me as clear as can be. And one day, you'll have planes to use. And it will feel to you the same as this does. In other words, I don't know what it costs. It's not a big deal. I don't have to think about it. And until you get to that place... Don't do it. 
And it, what, it took about 12 years, but we're at that place now. When I preach this coming Sunday across the, the, the country, on the opposite side of the country of the United States, it's in, I still can't get over this because uh, I've done it one way for 19 years. This is insane to me. It is insane to have a Sunday morning church service to preach at uh, on the other side of the United States of America. It starts at 9.30 a.m. I'm going to leave my house in Pittsburgh at 7.30 a.m. I, I still can't get over it. I used to, if I was going to do that before, I would leave on Saturday morning to get there for Saturday night. And then, you know, you burn a day on the front side, burn a day getting home. That adds up. I added it up. It's uh, over a thousand extra days with Camila before she leaves the house by doing it this way. I told that story not to talk about planes, but literally chartering that aircraft percentage-wise of, of, of our Ministry money feels the same as gassing up that SUV did 12 years ago. I don't feel it. I want you to write th these two words together. Write financial peace. I'm not praying for money for, for the plane. I'm not going to hope it comes in in the offering. They don't let you pay afterwards anyway. You have to pay up front. I'm not going into debt to do it and then hoping to recoup the money from the offerings. No, don't feel it. Turn, I'll, I'll, I'll let the scripture explain it for you. What is financial peace? Turn to Psalm 127. Before we read Psalm 127, what's the second part of Proverbs 10.22? The blessing of the Lord makes a man rich. And he addeth no sorrow. So it's not just God making you rich. There's no striving. There's no having to pray in tongues in the morning for 30 minutes to, to keep your sanity because there's pressure everywhere. No. The opposite. The blessing of the Lord makes a man rich and you sleep like a baby at night because it's his grace doing it. You're not getting ahead of God. You're not getting behind God. You're walking right in the center of his will for you and his flow. And all I'm trying to communicate to you today is that the center of God's will contains financial overflow and freedom from financial limitation. I don't have to try to get it. The blessing of the Lord follows me, chases me down. It's not me trying to grab something that isn't mine. It belongs to me. It's magnetized to me. You're a money magnet. You should say it out loud where you're at. It would be good to undo some of the other things you've said that are the opposite of that. I am a money magnet. Money's attracted to me. I'm not attracted to it. It's attracted to me. And when it comes to me, I know what to do with it. It has no hold on me. It's not in my heart. It's in my hand. 
Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds a house, they that labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with centuries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. For God gives rest to his loved ones. It's financial conquest in rest. Uh, I have an insane amount of money that's being paid out from this ministry to all kinds of things. If you added up what I took in the ministry, my first six years, I'm talking about financially, my first six years in the ministry might not pay the bills that I'm paying this month. Two, two months. And I'm 20 times more peaceful now than I was then. So you don't have to bust blood vessels in your forehead. A minister told me one time, he said, the one thing about having a ministry this big is you carry the financial weight of it with you all the time. That's a shame, because you don't have to. I gave that weight to Jesus. And he takes good care. He gives me instruction. I follow the instruction, and the instructions produce fruit. So life's not a choice to have a small ministry or a small life, but at least you don't have to have the pressure of, of being large. The blessing of the Lord makes a man rich, and he addeth no sorrow. Number three. If you will put iniquity, Job 22, we already read it. Thou shalt put away iniquity far from thy tabernacles. Winning the war against financial limitation, key number three. Put iniquity out of your house. Get rid of any sin from your life, from your house. Holiness, write this down. Holiness is the master key to a life without financial limitation. God's presence attracts abundance and it takes holiness to carry God's presence. Sin repels God's presence and then re repels that. Um, you know, I'm not saying this to be critical. I'm not bringing anybody's names up. I'm just, you know, there's ministers. My father's a minister. You know, I've told you a zillion times. I've been around ministers my whole life. There's ministers that had massive Ministries that let sin into their life and into their ministry. And the next thing you know, they're in a little building right now. I'm talking about ministries that used to command millions, you know, tens of millions of dollars. They're in like a rented building. They have 120 people on Sunday when they used to have 4,000. They lost everything. 
Because sin is a thief. Sin opens the door to the devil and the devil's a thief. Get rid of sin. I'm one affair away from losing what I've gained in 20 years of faithfulness. And that, to me, beyond not going to hell, is a major, major motivation to live holy. I'm not flushing 20 years down the toilet. Even from a business standpoint, not doing it. Get rid of sin. Or sin will get rid of the thing you and God are building together. And if you know that, it should lose its appeal. Number four. Key number four to winning the war against financial limitation. Conduct yourself with integrity. Conduct yourself with financial integrity. I drive a very nice vehicle. My staff drives very nice vehicles. I detest prosperity ministries where the leader has an amazing vehicle and the staff are having trouble feeding themselves. Conduct yourself with financial integrity. You don't use people to get ahead. You bless people. What you make happen for others, God makes happen for you. Conduct yourself with financial integrity. There's a, you know, the Lord's, in fact, I'm doing a, a Skype call in a few hours with the ministers who are a part of Revival Today Evangelistic Association. So the way God's worked things, I have a lot of ministers and, and younger ministers who I'm in touch with. And hearing things that they put up with or are forced to put up with reminds me of those early years and makes me angry. I feel like driving to take care of the problem myself. For example, one young minister, he's been out of Bible college for just over one year. So you understand, it's not... Secondly, even if he had a, a fortune, that has nothing to do with integrity. So he, he was invited to do a youth, youth weekend, youth camp. They took offerings for him. They never gave him the offerings. He goes home. Now, first of all, how you could be so brain dead. How do you not think of other people? Who in their right mind has a 22-year-old come preach for them? Like, oh, they they, that's probably, how would you not know that guy probably needs that offering to get home? He doesn't have partners, a TV ministry. How do you do that to somebody? Have them travel up and pay their own way. Travel back. You've taken offerings from them. You, you're too lazy to count it that night. So now he's in the awkward position. A week goes by. Two weeks go by. No offering. So now he's in the awkward position where now you have to call and look like 
you, you know, you're either greedy or you're a bum. So he calls the youth pastor. Oh, man, the check's been waiting on the secretary's desk. I, I think she forgot about it. We'll Venmo it to you today. Well, today was three days ago. Never Venmoed. If that guy doesn't go to hell, it, it'll be the, the mercy of the Lord. And that's why, why am I bringing that up? Because that's why that guy is a 50-year-old youth pastor. Because he's a loser. Because he doesn't conduct himself with integrity. How can you treat somebody like that? If somebody comes and does work for me, they're paid. They don't send them and make them twist in the wind for four weeks. And it happens all the time. Conduct yourself with financial integrity. The guy must not read the Bible. The cries of the laborers come up before me because their wages have been withheld. I pray that guy gets a book of Exodus case of hemorrhoids. How's that? You're either a thief or you're too freaking lazy to count an offering, get it deposited, and get it, get it transferred. And either way, you're equal because you're, you're a bum. You're a bum. You're either a thief bum or a bum bum. And that guy's probably, you know, promote me, O Lord. Use No, the Lord doesn't even like you. You may miss heaven. Had a three-week revival at a church a handful of years back. One and a half years later, the new pastor of the church called. The pastor I had the revival for left. He said, we were doing staff devotions today, and we were talking about integrity. And our treasurer came to us and said that the old pastor took $9,600 out of your offering. Told me to take it out. And I felt convicted, and they mailed me the money. Now, that's integrity. The new guy has integrity. That was a pastor stole out of the offering. If you've noticed at churches, we take our offerings with our own envelopes now. Basically to keep people from going to hell. Because most people can't be around money and not steal it. Jesus' treasure stole his money. Very few people can sit around money and not steal it. And if you're a senior pastor, don't be a bozo and have the same two people count the offering every Sunday. Have a minimum of nine with three, minimum of three counting at a time. Mix the rotation every Sunday so that if someone's going to steal, they have to get nine, eight other people in on it, not one other person. You don't need two people in a locked room handling cash and one of the people's two mortgage payments behind Very few people can be around money and not steal it. That's life. That's in the Bible. Key number four, conduct yourself with financial integrity. Now let me talk about the positive end. Someone gave me a check in my last meeting for $5,000 and left the pay to blank. They never said, this is for you. So that check was turned into my uh, uh, Patrick that handles the money for the ministry. 
And I told him yesterday, I said, how many people do you think could be handed a check for $5,000 with the pay to blank? And that guy wouldn't have minded if I took it. He likes me. But if you don't say it's for me, specifically tell me it's for me, I'm not taking it. And there's not a lot of people that would do that. And there's not a lot of people who get to live like I live. Because if, if you can show God that you can handle money without stealing it, I always take those as little financial tests. So, when we had somebody give our ministry a million dollars, just under $1.1 million, you understand that legally, I could buy a $700,000 mansion, which would, in Pittsburgh would be a mansion for sure, and make it a parsonage that the ministry owns that I get to live in and finagle it that that money enriches me. So it's not that I did anything that's illegal, but I took that one million as a test that God wanted to see. If I give you seven figures, where will it go? Of course, we did uh, seven outdoor crusades in the United States like that. I took no raise on purpose to show the Lord, you can float me seven figures and none of it will stick to my hands. I am a clean vessel that you can send money from heaven and it will pass through to build the kingdom. Key number four, operate in financial integrity. Remember Gehazi? Naaman got healed of leprosy, told Elisha, I wanna, I'm so happy I got healed, I want to give you money. Now's not a time to receive gifts. You can go. Gehazi raced out to him. Wait, Elisha changed his mind. Uh, we actually have a Bible college. If you could, just give us 75 pounds of silver and some clothes, and we'll call it even. And Gehazi came back in. Where were you, Gehazi? Oh, I wasn't anywhere. Didn't my spirit go with you when you went out to go see Naaman? And now the leprosy that he was healed of will cling to you and your family forever. Ananias and Sapphira lied about money. The Holy Ghost struck them dead. Financial integrity matters. You don't have to make this decision that I'd rather drive a beat-up 2003 Ford Taurus and go to heaven than drive a Porsche and go to hell. But I will tell you, you know, I'm around a lot of cash. We receive our own offerings. We take it back to the hotel. Of course, we keep it in sealed bags and all that, and then it's counted back at the office so it's not shady. Even that. But... uh it would be very easy for me to steal thousands of dollars, all the cash that comes in the offering. There, there's no record of it. But, uh, you know, let's say I took all that money and bought a big house and some nice cars, and then I go to hell. I don't want that. I don't want that. Financial integrity. Key number five, tithe. Shall a man rob, we're talking about stealing money, right? Shall a man rob God, yet you have robbed me. 
Refusal to tithe is robbing God. You're the, you're the, mo, the least financially integrous person there is. You're willing to steal from God. One old preacher said this about the tithe and, and non-tithers. If someone will steal from God while he's looking at them, imagine what they'll do to you when you're not looking. If someone will steal from God while he's looking at them, imagine what they'll do to you when you're not looking at them. Oh, yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't trust a non-tither ever. A Christian that doesn't tithe, if you'll steal from God, I don't even want to know what you do to me. I won't have anybody on staff here that doesn't tithe. They don't have to tithe to our ministry. I, 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 don't, I don't know whether they do or not. It's up to them what they do with it. But if I found out we had anybody on staff that didn't tithe, they'd be fired the day I found it out. Because you can't trust somebody that will steal from God. But now let's take the positive side of the tithe. Returning the tithe to the Lord keeps you in, in the flow. See if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that's so great you won't have room enough to take it all in. Then you return it the first tenth back to God as a sign to him. You know it's him that did it. Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18. When you become wealthy, never say it was my own efforts that made me wealthy. Always remember it's the Lord your God who gives you power to create wealth. So tithing is showing God, I know I didn't do this. Our tithe from the last uh, 10 days or so for this ministry is $50,000. And I'm going to sow it this week. And I'm like, well, that's a lot of money, you know. I'm not going to tithe it back into my ministry. All the creative ways people have of stealing and not tithing. You know, there's a lot of people when they get rich, Christians... They start their own nonprofit that their wife runs, and then they tithe into their own nonprofit. That's creative theft from God. You've transferred the money from one account you control to another account you control. Christina, where, where do you live, Christina, where you're believing for a job? There's jobs everywhere. People are, people are having very hard times finding people to work. There, there's major labor roles that need, need filled. You don't have to believe God. Look on the internet. There's places offering a $1,000 sign-up bonus to come work. I don't see any, unless you're in another country. But if you're in America, there's no way you could be having trouble finding a job right now. Tithe Key number six Sow lavish seed
not long ago, my wife and I had $108,000 saved up to buy a home. Of course, you can't buy a home for $108,000, but we were building towards it, you know? That was like, that was our savings for like two years. And then we, she felt to sow a $100,000 seed out of our personal money, set us back to $8,000, and start over again. That, that, that's a lavish seed. To go from feeling like you got a decent amount of money to uh, like you're two years out of college. But the blessings that come off of those seeds, financially and otherwise. In fact, we sowed $100,000 out of our account, knocked us down back to 8000 We were back up over 100000 I think in like six weeks. It was insane. It was totally insane. How it just... How many people in meetings? We gave in the offering, but we wanted to give you this personally. Look, the Lord, the Lord, the giving's just tests. But you have to give God seed to multiply. God can't multiply nothing. Five loaves, two fish. That wasn't some of that boy's lunch. Think about it. That boy didn't say, well, I'll get, you know, I'll keep a loaf and half a fish and then you guys can have. No, he gave all. He gave all he had. Many Christians, they give all the time, they sow all the time, but they've never sown a lavish seed. When you die, no one's going to care what car you drove. It'll be out of style anyway. In 1985, if you had a Lamborghini Coutage, you were the man. But if you had a 1985 Lamborghini, it doesn't even interest people. Does anybody want Henry Ford's first vehicle? He was the man at the time. Everybody was riding horses. Nobody'd even want it now, except for maybe for a museum piece or you know, take out on a Saturday for ice cream just to show it off. It, has, it doesn't matter. But the seed you sow will speak after you're gone. It'll create something for your, your children and your children's children. What is a lavish seed? It's different for everybody. The, those that sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Lavish seed sowing destroys financial limitation. And I'm going to tell you something. It's not always in one big harvest. I can't really point you know, it's like in, in 2016, we had somebody give a million dollars. We haven't had anybody give a million dollars this year or last year. But those years blew that year away because it just, it just opens. With everything financially that comes into our ministry, there's no individual that's responsible for it. You know, 5%. So there's actually no one that's going, well, if you don't do this, we're going to withdraw our funding. You can withdraw it. No, nobody is financing this. We financed it by sowing and reaping. 
so lavish seed. Key number seven, speak faith words, not poverty words. Don't ever say we can't afford that again. Don't ever say we can't live there. Don't ever say that's expensive. That's how poor people talk. Don't even use the word expensive. I had a Jewish lady teach me that one time when I was just starting in the ministry. I said, man, that's an expensive restaurant. She went, don't say it's expensive. Say it's fine. She, had, she was a wealthy lady. I was a poor jabroni out of Bible college. Talking like a freaking hillbilly. Oh, it's an expensive restaurant. They won't even let me wear a sleeveless shirt. That's it. That's it. Don't talk poor. That's expensive. It's an expensive restaurant. Say it's fine. Don't say I can't afford it. Say I'll be back for you later. Don't ever see anything as out of your grasp. God made you a king. God made you a prince. God made you his child. Speak faith words, not poverty words. Thank you, Father, for increase. Give God with a heart of thanksgiving, with a mouth full of praise. Praise waters the seed. Do you guys have um, me telling the story about me and Adalas pulling the car over? I don't need it right now, but I'd like to play it going off. Speak faith words, not poverty words. Don't, don't let your words dig up your seed. We give all the time, you know, we've never really seen anything. Yeah, keep talking like that. Thank you, Father, for blessing. Thank you that as we cast our bread upon the waters, it shall return to us after many days. Key number eight, give God an excellent vessel to pour his blessing into. This is the final one. I will bless the work of your hands. Give God a vessel to pour his oil into. The primary channel of God's blessing is flowing into the vessel of the work or purpose that he's given you to do. And I have a lot of broadcasts on this specifically about how to have an excellent business and all that. But you need to be doing something. Think of this. Abraham had God personally appear to him and tell him, I'm going to make you rich. If Abraham was an American charismatic, he would have just sat and told everybody, the Lord told me he's going to make me rich and make my name great, and I'm, I'm just holding on to that word. No, he got to work digging wells and ranching cattle. And that was the means that God poured his blessing through. A man that doesn't work shouldn't eat, and a man that doesn't provide for his family has left the faith and is worse than an infidel. Christianity is not sitting cross-legged in a loft apartment with an acoustic guitar singing worship songs. Work. Build something. What's your passion? What's the thing God called you to do? Set it up in a way where it's an easy thing for God to bless. Be the best in your field. Whatever your hand finds it to do, do it with all your might.
Seest thou a man who's diligent? I think it's Proverbs 22, 29. Seest thou a man who's diligent in business? He will not wait on mere men. He will stand before kings. Diligence is not hard work. Diligence is hard, excellent work. Work hard and be excellent. I have a friend who owns a construction company. When he goes to bid a job, a residential job, he doesn't show up in his work truck covered in paint. He shows up in a dress shirt, nice pants and shoes, and drives in in his Mercedes to look at what they need done, and it connotates trust. Now, this guy's not a heroin addict that's going to go missing after two weeks of working. This guy doesn't look like he was recently paroled. This guy looks like he's got a serious company. Man judges on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. Your clients are not God. Your clients are men. So have your outward appearance proper. I'll add a ninth key, ninth and final key. Be born again. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, Everything I taught today began with those that are in Christ are the true seed of Abraham, and everything that God gave Abraham belongs to them. If you've never received Jesus Christ, you're on the outside looking in. You can tithe, you can give, you can work, none of it will work. You have to be redeemed. If you've never received Jesus Christ, I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Say it out loud. Heavenly Father, I admit that I've sinned. I repent. I believe in my heart. You raised Jesus from the dead. I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord and my Savior. Right now, I receive forgiveness. By the blood of Jesus, I am saved. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. Let me know that you prayed in the comments so I know who I prayed with. Right, I did, or I prayed. And then go to revivaltoday.com and click I just got saved. If you'll fill that out completely, I'm going to send you a Bible and other materials that we have to help you live the Christian life. So do that right now, revivaltoday.com, and click I just got saved. Welcome to the family of God. Now let me pray for everyone. Winning the war against financial limitation. The last day that you lacked will be the last day you ever lack. The vacation you desire. Go and sell, go and sell the oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons can live off, off what's left. You know, God did a miracle just for her and her sons to be able to enjoy life. You know, God will do miracles like that for you. The vacation that you never thought you could take. Can I tell you something? I'm feeling pretty loose today, so I'm going to speak loosely. You understand the ministry's money and my money are two different things. That's why I'm not, I understand that. That's why I'm not in jail. So on paper, 
The ministry has much more money than I do, which is how it should be. It's kind of a shame when a guy has a $140,000 car and a $2 church. So uh, the last, last year when we went on vacation to, to Arizona, we drove to the resort, and there's a private airport right next to the resort in, in Scottsdale, Arizona. And I said to Adalis, one day for our own personal vacation, we'll take a private plane to that airport. And I'm not complaining. The last thing I want to do is sound like a douche. It's, it's, a, it's a privilege to be able to fly commercial. When you land, you wait for your bags. Then you have to haul all the bags on the... And I'm not complaining. You have to, I'm, I, I'm, I'm telling you the difference between the two things. You haul all the bags onto a bus. The bus takes you to the rental car center. You wait in line, get your car, and then drive. So it's about another hour and a half from when you land. When you fly private, your plane lands and pulls up right next to, to your rented vehicle that's there. The, the baggage handlers have your bags loaded into that vehicle before you get off the plane. From the time your plane stops till the time you're driving is about two and a half minutes. I told Adonis, one day we'll do that. That'll be a great start to the vacation. When I said that, even me, even though I had the faith to say it, I was thinking in my head like, when we're 55, 60, and this last vacation that I took, I had somebody contact us and say, we heard that you're taking a vacation and I wanted to wire you $30,000. Well, plane, plane rides 20, and I already had the 20. I was going to do it anyway to surprise the and then, and then I'm telling you, this, this goes back a couple keys. Speak faith words. Give God words to get involved in. One day, we'll fly a plane into that airport for our vacation. Boom. It didn't take till I was 55. It was six months, uh, eight months later. I thought it would be about 15 years later. You'd be amazed how quickly God will take you into a financial wonderland. If you'll just, if you'll sow financial seed and speak faith words. If you'll do those two things, God will blow your mind how quickly he'll take you. Like where you thought you'd be at 60 if you played all your cards right. He'll do it in less than a year. Amos 9.13. This is a time of accelerated harvest. And I see God taking you there. What you never had, your children will have. What you never could do, you'll do, and your children will do with ease. What you were able to do with great difficulty financially, your children will do without blinking an eye. It only takes one person to break a whole family out. And you'll be that person. Father, these words that have come from your word, that have come into my friends and my partner's hearts today, let those seeds blossom. Let those seeds build them into mighty financial factors in whatever nation they live. Let the laws not be written by wicked rich people. Raise up righteous rich people that affect the legislation and movement of their nations. In Jesus' name, 
I curse lack. I curse financial limitation. There will be people watching me. And if this doesn't matter to you, then obviously you won't be one of them. You'll fly first class to your next vacation. You, your spouse, and your kids. You'll eat without looking at what the bill was. That kind of life. Eat where you want, not what you can afford. That's living life without financial limitation. Now, I'm not talking about, again, I'm not talking you, you go to the finest steakhouse every night. Sometimes you want in and out. Sometimes you don't. I'm not talking about just, just eat. You live how you want. But finances never, I guess I'll leave you with this. Money is a terrible master. The Bible tells you not to serve it. But money makes a wonderful servant where you put it to work for you. And you live one of those two ways. Either money is dictating how you live or you're dictating to money how you're going to live. And you can have it the second way. When you make Jesus your master, money becomes your servant. And you can enter into that today. I'm going to give you an opportunity to sow seed. A lot of you didn't even wait for the opportunity. Just, just did it. So I'm sure it's in people's hearts to give. I want to give you a financial pack of books to, um, as a thank you for sowing today and also to build your knowledge. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Anywhere you build up your knowledge in an area of the word, you become, you become indestructible. So guys, I'm going to do my hardcover book. Do we have one in here that I can, I can show? Um, Understanding Financial Prosperity by Bishop David Oyedepo and Money Cometh by Leroy Thompson. I'll do those three. Here's the first two. That's my first book I ever wrote. It's now available in hardback. Pictures of our crusades in the back. Financial Overflow, 10 Bible Principles to Unlock Heaven's Unending Supply. If you're watching on replay, I'll send it to you as well. Understanding Financial Prosperity by Bishop David Oyedepo. This one's a life-changing book. And then Money Cometh by Dr. Leroy Thompson. Money Cometh to the Body of Christ. That's a revelation, and that'll change your life. I'll send you three life-changing books as a way to say thank you for whatever you sow today. If you sow at the $1,000 level or more, I'll add with that the Revival Today Kingdom Builders Bible. We're building a church as we speak. And for you to stand with us at that level, $1,000 or more that actually, you know, is like building seed. That Bible is a New King James black leather, and it has pictures in the back of my first uh, 20 years in the ministry. So you may enjoy that. If you do 5,000 or more, along with those four, I'll send you one terabyte, right, or two? One terabyte, one terabyte of my preaching. 
3,000 hours of preaching or so. It's my, my first 20 years, every recorded message I ever did. You'll hear me with a much higher voice when I was starting at 20, 21. And then you'll hear it advance to a very gristled, deep voice from having death threats and bad sound men. Thank you for giving. Here's the ways you can give. On Facebook, hashtag donate. You can text RT to 50155. Cash app, dollar sign RT give. Venmo, at RT give. If you prefer PayPal, revivaltoday.com slash PayPal. If you want to give cryptocurrency, you can go to our website, revivaltoday.com, and click give now. And again, that's like, if everything confuses you, just go to revivaltoday.com and click give now. Everything's right there in one place. Or you can scan that QR code if you want to give crypto. If you want to mail it, Revival Today is who you make it out to. Revival Today, P.O. Box 7, Prosperity, Pennsylvania, 15329. Don't forget to claim your offer at revivaltoday.com. Click claim your offer. Claim my offer because not all the ways collect your name and address, then I have no way to send you the gifts. If you want to speak to a friendly human being from our ministry, some people prefer that because they'll help you out and take, make it easy. 412-446-2332. 412-446-2332. If you've not followed me, follow me. At J.D. Shuttlesworth. Twitter, Instagram, our YouTube channel. Then I don't know how much longer they're going to let people like me on YouTube and Facebook. So please, as quickly as possible, get our app today. The Revival Today app. It's in the App Store, Google Play. Also Roku, Fire TV, Android TV, Apple TV. And then come see me live this coming weekend in Hobbs, New Mexico. Sunday, 9.30 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. Monday to Friday, 7 p.m. Don't miss those meetings. I love you. I hope today um, Wow, Timothy. That's amazing. Thank you, Leah. People are writing such nice stuff today. And thank you for your giving. But you're not giving the you know, I don't want you to see it as like supporting a ministry. I want you to see it as soil you sow your seed into that advances the gospel, that produces, it's more blessed to give than to receive. The, the blessing stays with the giver. Oh, that's good, Jolene. I'm, I'm telling you, I know you probably don't live close to Hobbs, New Mexico, most of you. I would find a way to get there this coming week. You'll be glad you did. They're going to be powerful meetings. I'm going to give you a clip that's one of the best from the 20 years of preaching. This has to do with how Adolis and I broke out of financial limitation, and you'll enjoy it. I'll see you on Check the News tonight, and I'll see you for Spiritual Emphasis uh, Day 4 tomorrow. Love you.
Hey, this is Jonathan Shuttlesworth. I want to thank you for listening to my podcast, or if you're listening to my wife's. Thank you on her behalf. If you want to be more than just a casual listener and stand with us as we take the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to our generation, go to RevivalToday.com and click Give Now and be a part of the 1,000 monthly partners that we're believing for. I have a special gift that I'll send to you today, and I'll say thank you in advance. Until next time, thanks for listening. See you later.